Trinity Church. It's good to see you in this room. It's been such a long time. Just, just seeing some of you that, that I haven't seen for a year has just been such a blessing to my heart. And um, we are uh, so privileged to be able to meet together. And we've been pressing on no matter how we're able to. But uh, just what a privilege to actually be here in this room today with you all and with those of you on the plaza and also online. We're in the middle of this series called Beckon, and this is a series where Jesus is ha- people are having encounters with Jesus, and Jesus is inviting people to draw near. And that's the heart of our Savior, and so how wonderful for us to see this and interact with Jesus as He's interacting with these people. And uh, this week, we're actually halfway through a story in in John chapter 4, where Jesus has an encounter with Samaritan woman. And if you were not here last week, you need to, after at the end of the day, go back and listen to that, because it really sets the stage for everything that's going to happen today as we continue that story. And I want to kind of give you, you, just in case you weren't here, you need a refresher, I'll give you one. But first, I want to ask this question, because if we, can, if we can know the answer to this, I think we're going to get to the heart of what God wants us to know through His Word today, and it's simply this. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Why did He have to go through Samaria? That's where we are. We're with Jesus and His disciples. And before we answer that, I want to ask you a couple other questions. Have you ever wondered why God takes you places that you'd rather not go, and why He puts you around people you'd rather not be around. That's the question, and I hope that none of you are thinking this morning about that, about this place and these people, okay? (laughs) I'm thinking more about the places where you and I live our lives, in our neighbors, in our neighborhoods, the neighbors that God places around us. In, in our workplaces, if we're students, in, in the classrooms, the professors that, and the teachers that God gives us, and dare I say, our families, the families that God gives us, both your immediate family, but, but that extended family. And so we all find ourselves at times in our lives around people that we'd rather not be around. And that's exactly where the disciples find themselves in this story today. And the question is, maybe God has a reason for that. And that's what we want to go after is that answer. So if you want to follow along, we are in John 4. The notes are in the Trinity app. If you go down to the bottom, there's a resources section, and you can follow along in the notes. But I just want to catch us up, and I want you to think of yourself As a disciple of Jesus, you are with Jesus and His disciples. The first time you heard about Jesus, you heard that He was the Messiah. You see, because that's what Andrew heard. Andrew had been, is one of Jesus' disciples. He was hanging out with Jesus. He was actually hanging out with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I've been pointing to. Andrew says, I'm going after him. He finds Simon and says, we found the Messiah. So you can imagine that this is the buzz around the disciples' conversation, right? This is the Messiah that we're following. And so you're finding yourself now 
in, in, uh, out of Jerusalem. You've gone down to the Jordan River Valley. It's maybe 20 miles or so out, out of the town. And the people are coming to Jesus, just like you did. They're coming because they've heard that he's Messiah. And they're, they're listening to him. They're believing that he's Messiah. They're repenting and they're being baptized. And you get to be in on it. In fact, you and the other disciples are doing the baptizing. This is an exciting time. You don't want it to end. And Jesus says, boys, it's time to pack up and go. We're going to go home. We're going to head up to Galilee. And so you're like, okay. So you pack up your things and you're in the Jordan River Valley and you think, let's just walk north and head home. And Jesus says, oh, no. We're not going that way. We're going through Samaria. I have to go through Samaria. <laughs> Immediately, you can just feel the tension kind of rise in your back, and you're like, Samaria? We try to avoid Samaria at all costs, and we're already over here on this road. Do we really want to go? Look at the picture. You can kind of see um, where they were. Jesus was baptizing down near Jericho, where the bottom, the second star is, and they're heading way up to the top to Galilee, and they could just go up the valley, but Jesus says, no, we're going into the middle where it says Mount Gerizim is where this story is going to take place. You're wondering why in the world Jesus wants to do that, but guess what? He surprised you before, so you just go along, and you go to, you go to Samaria. So when you're in Samaria, um, it takes a couple days to get there. This is a long walk. So it's probably about noon the next day. You are tired, you are hungry, and you're thirsty. You get to this town called Sychar. You get to the well. Jesus says, Just, you guys go into town. Get something to eat. Interact with the people. I'm just going to stay out here at the well. And so you go into the town. And you feel that sense of, I don't want to go into the town. You see... Um, Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. That's what John told us at the beginning of, of this chapter. They didn't like each other at all. The Samaritans were kind of this, this half-mixed race of Jews that had mixed with these godless nations, and their religion was just messed up. They were really confused, and they really hated each other. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And you need to understand, in John 8, the, the Pharisees are trying to insult Jesus, and they say, you are a Samaritan. That was an insult. That's how much hatred there was. So you can imagine the, the disciples, as one of his disciples, you feel this tension going into the town. But you go, and as you're going in, you, right before you get into town, a woman comes rushing out, going out to get water. And you can tell, looking at her, she's had a hard life. She doesn't make eye contact, which doesn't surprise you. That's just kind of how it goes between Jews and Samaritans. And you wonder, why, why is she going alone at this hour of the day? But then that's it, and you, you, just, you want to get into town, get your food, get out so you can get through Samaria as quick as possible. So you come back into the town and or out to Jesus, and guess what? He's talking to the woman. And this is... This is boggling your mind. He's talking to a woman alone, a Samaritan woman. And you, you wonder, what does she want with Jesus? And why is Jesus talking to her? And what are they talking about? 
but you don't ask. And right as you get there anyway, the woman just kind of leaves her jar and rushes off in excitement. She is not the same woman that you saw walking to the well with her head down. Whatever Jesus said to her has really impacted her. And so you get to Jesus, and that's where we pick up our story today. And so uh, join me in uh, chapter 4, verse 29. It's on your screens as well. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they come out of the town, and they made their way toward him. So we're picking our way up halfway through the story, and whatever went down between Jesus and this woman made her so excited that she shouts out, come. And that, that Greek word isn't just come and, and see. This is an interjection, come. It's full of excitement and, um, and urgency and hope and wonder and awe, all wrapped up in that one word. But her testimony, see a man who's told me everything I ever did? What kind of testimony is that? Well, we have to go back and just review quickly what the major part of the beginning of this uh, chapter is. It's this encounter with this woman. And basically, Jesus engages her. He begins a conversation. He asks for water. And then he ends up saying, if you knew who I was, he, he puts his identity right out there. And if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me for water. I would give you living water. And of course, that kind of blows her mind, and she's trying to figure out what's this living water. But eventually, she says, yeah, I'll take it. Give me the living water. And Jesus says it's living water that springs up to eternal life. So he's talking spiritually about eternal life, about, about salvation. And she's at first not getting that. She's thinking more physically, water that quenches thirst. In that process, Jesus not only wants her to know who he is, but he wants her to know that she, he knows who she is. And he reveals, probably in her life, her deepest area of sin and of spiritual thirst. That she is a woman who's had five husbands, and the, woman she, and the man she's living with now is not her husband. He lays it out there, I know everything about you. Now, he didn't say everything, did he? But he kind of went right for that sore spot. And so her testimony becomes, he told me, he told me everything. <laughs> and that's our God. But I want you to realize this. Jesus did not condemn her. He engaged her in conversation. He offered her this gift of living water. That's who Jesus is. And he sees everything about me, those things that I hate about myself. He sees everything about you, and he doesn't condemn you either. He offers you living water. We sang about it, right? Come, all you weary, come heavy laden. Come to the well that never runs dry, drink of the water, come and thirst no more. And so that invitation is an invitation that stands for you and for me today. But Jesus, 
engages that woman. She goes back after this. Oh, he ends. He ends revealing that he is Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the one you're looking for. And that's why she's so excited and she goes back to the people. Now, at this moment, she has told the town her testimony. By the way, do you ever wonder, you think you kind of, my testimony's not that exciting? She had a one-sentence testimony. <laughs> and it had a pretty profound impact, didn't it? These people were like, we got to go see. We got to go see this Messiah that you're, that you're wondering about and calling us to. And so, as the townspeople are coming towards Jesus, he has maybe a minute or two, and he wants to teach his disciples one of the most important lessons that they needed to learn. And so, if you and I, if you're here like me, and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is for us. He wants us to know exactly what he wants his disciples to know, and so we need to pay close attention. It's almost like this pause in the story to kind of give them a preview of what's about to play out, okay? So join me, first of all, in your notes today. Jesus wants us to know about the will and the work of God. He wants us to know about the will and the work of God. Join me in verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And he says, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman begins with him offering her water. And then the disciples offer him food, and he says, oh no, I have food that you know nothing about. And in both areas, Jesus is talking on a much deeper spiritual level, and both of the women and the disciples kind of go to that physical, real food first, just like Nicodemus did about being born again. So Jesus is emphasizing these deep spiritual truths using these metaphors, and he uses food, which is the basic sustenance, it's something that we probably wake up every day hungry for. We start with hunger, and we're hungry throughout the day. It's probably the thing that we do the most. Jesus uses that to say, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. You see, the disciples thought they were going through Samaria, and, and they specifically thought, we're in Sychar for one reason, to get food and to get water and to get out of here. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you guys have no idea why we're here today. It's almost as if he's saying you're clueless. Not in a mean way, but he's just saying, I'm going to open your eyes up to what I'm about. And you're going to see something that's going to blow your mind. I wonder if we're clueless sometimes to what Jesus is about in the situations we find ourselves in and in the people that we find ourselves around. And I want to share, I was a teacher before I was a worship pastor for 10 years, nine years to be exact, and I was at Redlands High, and I became a teacher 
because I wanted, you know, like some of you college students, I wanted to impact students. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted them to, to, be, to be introduced to Jesus. I was a missionary teacher. But I wasn't viewing my colleagues with that same zeal. I was uncomfortable bearing testimony to Jesus around them. And I was uncomfortable around them. I'd rather be alone in my room than be in the lunchroom with the conversation sometimes that was going on. And I didn't want to be put on the spot. I was afraid. And so it was easier for me to avoid those people, just like the disciples probably would have liked to avoid the Samaritans that day. Praise God that um, Bob Cadell, who's here today, had a ministry, he has a ministry called Educators Crosstalk. And he helps teachers to realize their role as witnesses to Jesus, to their classmates, to their peers, and to their students. And it was through Bob who started this group of teachers, of other Christians, to pray for and begin to think about how are we reaching out, that God, that God opened my eyes to I'm here to reach out to these fellow teachers as well as the students. I was avoiding and ignoring, and God wanted me to notice to engage. And so thank you, Bob, for that ministry. You know, this is the body of Christ. You are all ministers. I was ministered to by Bob in my 20s, something I needed to learn. And I just am so thankful for that. And it changed the way that I prayed for and interacted with my peers from that day forward. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And it begs the question, who sent Jesus? What is his will and what is his work? And it's, there, the answer is so beautiful, we sang about it. And I want you to look at it with me and read it together. It's John three sixteen and 17. Let's read it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Can you just leave that slide up? I want you to see who sent Jesus in verse 17. God did and is his son. So the father sent the son. And why, what, what is his work? The bottom line, to save the world through him. And what is the Father's will? It's in verse 16. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we have the will and the work of God in this most famous verse ever <laughs> for us to remember this is what Jesus is all about. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. Now, I'm going to guess that if you're a follower of Jesus, none of you are going to push back on that. You're going to say, I knew that. Because that's the heart of God. That's what drew us to him in faith in the first place, was that we wanted eternal life. We didn't want to perish. And we realized that God loved us. But Jesus didn't want his disciples, and he doesn't want us just to know it. He wants us to do something about it. And that's what the next section of this passage brings us to. Jesus wants us to do 
the will and the work of God together. And that word together is the greatest privilege that we have, is we get to do this together with God and with each other. So let's move on. Let's go back here. We are at verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. This is the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others did have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So this is about two groups of people working together, sowers and reapers, right? And Jesus is saying to his disciples, wake up, (laughs) open your eyes, look what's happening right here in front of you. Scholars would, would, most of them agree that Jesus is, is pointing to the Samaritans coming toward him, coming out of the village to, to see him. He's saying, do you see these people coming for me? Wake up. Look at these people. It's almost like he's saying, because he knows what's in the, the disciples' hearts, you need to see the Samaritans like I see them, with the love that I have for them. You wanted to get through Samaria. I'm going to Samaria. There's a similar passage in Matthew 9 where Jesus uses this harvest language. And I just want you to see this. Look at how it begins. He's with his disciples, and he says, um, Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I've sent you. This is done already, right, in in our passage today. But do you notice that it began with Jesus seeing the crowds? He noticed them, and then he had compassion. I like to think about harvests, and some of you may not know this about me, but I'm an orange farmer, uh, along with my father-in-law, who's here today. And uh, we actually um, harvested our crop of oranges uh, about three weeks ago. Here's the question I have for you. How do we know our oranges are ripe? You can taste one, but, but before you even taste it, I would be foolish to taste an orange back in June, if it's a, if it's a navel orange. <laughs> How do I know? An orange is orange when it's ripe. And so Jesus is saying, open your eyes. Look what's happening. You need to notice. And uh, that's the beauty of this. You know, some, some fruit 
um, you have to feel, right? A peach looks right, but ah, you better just squeeze it to make sure it's soft. Avocado, some fruit you might have to smell, you know, like a cantaloupe. It's up close and personal, isn't it? And so how do you know that somebody is ripe, meaning that they're ready to put their faith in Jesus? You have to get up close and personal. You have to observe. And um, this is what I would call life-on-life discipleship. This is what Jesus modeled for his disciples. Life-on-life discipleship. It's in your notes. This is how it happens. It's what he's doing with his disciples. It's what he did with the Samaritan woman. He had a conversation. He went after her heart. And that's how we see the condition of what people, where people are at. And you guys, it begins simply with compassion, doesn't it? Noticing and compassion. I want to share a resource. I read this book almost completely through this week for the second time because it was so significant, so simply profound. But this is a resource that I have found extremely helpful, as well as people in my small group. There have been small groups at Trinity who've gone through this together. It's called God Space. There's a picture of it up here. It's, a very, it's just a short read. But this guy, Doug, basically teaches us how to love our neighbor. It's the second commandment. It's, it's, am I noticing people around me? Am I listening? Am I caring? Am I engaging in conversation? Am I asking good questions that go for heart matters? That's what this book is. I really encourage you to do that. Ironically, when Jesus was teaching his disciples about the second, the greatest commandment, and the love your neighbor, who did he set as the hero in that, par- in that teaching? Who was the hero that loved his neighbor? The Samaritan. So he's just going after his disciples right at their root of prejudice and, uh, you know, of, of just hundreds of years of looking down on these people. Jesus is saying, I got a new paradigm for you guys. <laughs> We're going after the Samaritans. You guys, before I move on and finish this amazing, the story ends amazing. I just want to remind you, we do this work together. We do the will and the work of God together. It's in your notes. Jesus brings out this saying, one reaps, another sows, and, and he says when, when, when the harvest comes into eternal life, that the reaper and the sower, they're glad together. They rejoice together because God is doing the work, and we just get to be part of it. And so that's, that's the joy is that we get to do it together. In Greek, Jesus says, others did the labor. He uses the word hard labor. This is not the normal word for work. This is the hard work of farming, <laughs> right? It's sowing that seed. It's nurturing it. It's trying to get it to grow, trying to see that it's, it's there. And that's, that's the hard work. And the question I had immediately was, who did the hard work with the Samaritans? Who did the hard work? Because they were ready to believe. They were all coming out. Jesus talked to the Samaritan, right? Woman, she gave her one-sentence testimony. That didn't seem too hard, <laughs> although it was pretty revealing. Do you know who was baptizing in the Jordan region right before we just got to chapter 4? John the Baptist. And what was his mission? 
I'm pointing people to Jesus. So most scholars think it's very likely that John was baptizing in Samaria at the Jordan River and that these Samaritans were primed and ready to meet Jesus. John did the hard work. And you guys, we partner in ministry like that today. I have heard amazing stories this week just talking to people about just how the, the gospel comes to and how a person comes to faith. And some people's lives, it's so long, right? It's that faithful parent praying for that child and investing. I was thinking, Julie and I were thinking about the, the fact that we do sowing and reaping together when it just comes to our kids. It's like the place that it all begins is in the home. And I bet we can count up to over 20 of you who have sowed seeds in our kids' lives. You are partners with us, bringing our kids to a knowledge of Jesus to where they want to follow him. And I want, we want to say thank you. This is a partnership. That's why our class is, we're not calling it membership. We're calling it partnership because that's what it means to be a part of a local church together. We serve one another in bringing people in our lives to God. This is life in life. I, I want to just read the end of this passage, and then we've got a kind of a fun ending here today. Um, the end of this passage is awesome, and I actually don't have it up on the screen. Listen how it plays out. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, quote, he told me everything I ever did. All right, that one went down in the books. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more Samaritans, many more became believers. And here's the beautiful Grand Slam home run at the end of this story. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. That is why Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's in your notes, because he really is the Savior of the world. My problem, maybe, and your problem is the world kind of becomes the people that are like us. They're the people that we like. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, oh, no, I'm, I'm going after everyone, even these people that you don't. Who are those people in your life? Who are they in my life? Maybe it's people who have a lifestyle that is way, way different than mine. Maybe it's people who have political views that are the opposite end of the spectrum of mine. Jesus is going after those people, and he wants us to go with him, so we can't ignore them. We need to love them like Jesus loves them. Just going back here to finish up, I, I just want to uh, remind you, Jesus' purpose in all of this, John's purpose in writing his gospel is so that we might believe. And so maybe you've never had this picture of, of Jesus, this compassionate Jesus that we see interacting with the Samaritans. He stayed with them two days. Do you think Jews and Samaritans had ever hung out together for two days, for hundreds, maybe thousands of years? It's amazing how this worked. But if you have never, maybe you're like the Samaritans that are like, we, we need to hear more. 
I encourage you, find somebody that knows Jesus and, and tell them, I just want to hear more. Tell me more. I want, you know, that's, that's why maybe you're here this morning is because you wanted to hear more. Maybe you're going to go and be a part of a, a gathering uh, for the college group or our high school or middle schoolers. But maybe you're like that ripe fruit where you're like, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I want it. I believe it. And I encourage you right, right today, wherever you are, if you're online or on the pavilion or you're in this room, that faith is simply believing that Jesus is the Messiah and confessing, right? You truly are the Savior of the world. And you can do that. God sees those sins. It helps to admit that you see all this stuff, God, but you're offering me eternal life through Jesus. And I believe and I accept it today. And that's as simple as it is to begin a relationship with the Lord. And we would love to help you continue that. Our prayer team, uh, our Start, Start Here booth, you can just find out more and get connected here. We'd love to walk with you. All right, here's our now what. Let's continue to join God in his work to save the world through Jesus. Let's continue and may our joy increase evermore as we do this together. In closing, I've been thinking a lot, how do we bring people to Jesus? He's not sitting by a well physically. I can't take my neighbor or my classmate and say, hey, come, here's Jesus. How do we do it today, right? Well, we have his words, don't we? That's what he's given us, and that's basically what the Samaritans believed based on, is his words. So I, went, I heard this story from Anthony. Anthony's going to come out here. And I had to hear from myself. I met with him this week, and I just want you guys to be encouraged by what God is doing in Anthony's life and in his family as he's bringing people to Jesus, to be encouraged and inspired by what God is doing. So, Anthony, come on out. Introduce us to your family and tell us what God's up to. Yeah. Hey, good morning, Trinity Church. Can you, can you come, over, come over to oh, the side there? sure. There we go. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Hey. Um, yeah, like Bill said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, like Bill said, um, I'm Anthony Conley. Um, I'm married to Cindy Conley. We've been married for about five and a half years. Um, we have a daughter named Alina. She's nine months old. And we've been coming to Trinity for about eight years. And um, ah, there's uh, Cindy and um, my daughter there. So, um, yeah, so uh, this story is just um, about me and my three brothers, actually, um, and just um, the opportunity I've had to share the gospel with them. So I think there's a picture of, yeah, there they are. My sister's there, too. So from the left, that's Zachary, uh, my sister, Brittany, uh, Gregory, and then Jeremy, and then myself on the far end. So um, just some context. Um, <clears throat> There's a big age gap between myself and my brothers. So I'm actually eight years older than my oldest brother, Jeremy. So um, as they grew up and um, you know, into their childhood and into the teen years, I was kind of like more of an uncle than a brother. So I would um, come to my parents' house to visit them maybe like once a week. So um, the start of the story uh, begins about two years ago. So um, I'm hanging out and visiting my parents, and I'm spending time with my uh, little brothers, and the topic of Jesus comes up. And my youngest brother, Zachary, uh, tells me that he's an atheist. And um, this shocked me, so I talked to my other brothers, and it turned out that they were actually 
indifferent and unknowing of uh, Jesus and Christianity as a whole. So um, again, this was really concerning for me because, you know, I love my brothers and I want them to know God and, um, you know, to just put their faith in Jesus and have salvation. So um, over the last, again, this was about two years ago. So for these two years, I was just, um, you know, continuing to visit with them. Um, you know, when the topics would come up, we would debate and discuss about various topics about, um, you know, the worldview. So like from like creationism to, um, you know, the problem of sin. And uh, my wife and I and my home group as well, we would just continue to pray for my brothers. <clears throat> so fast forward the story. Um, to December of 2020. So uh, my wife and I are home group leaders. So we wanted to do a new study with um, our home group, and we thought we could do Christianity Explored. So um, we asked Steve, Steve Springstead, who's um, in charge of the um, home group leaders, if uh, we can do it. So just a little background about Christianity Explored. Basically, it's a study that goes through the book of Mark, but it's designed for um, people who don't know much about the gospel or have never even heard about it. So it's like really palatable to people who, um, again, haven't heard the gospel. And it's a great tool to just share and walk through with non-believers. So um, our idea was that, you know, this would be a great evangelism tool that we can equip ourselves with and also the people in our home group so that we can reach people um, in our own lives that are unbelievers. So, um, yeah, we asked Steve if we could do it, and um, he approved, and he gave us the materials, and we were given, um, like, an online access code so we can watch the videos in tandem with um, the discussions as we did it week by week. So, long story short, um, it ended up not working out with our home group um, because of scheduling and other things. We ended up not doing it with them, but, um, you know, since my wife and I had been praying about my brothers, I thought, well, we have the materials, so, like... Maybe I should just ask them and see if they'll want to do it, you know? So I presented it to them, and I said, hey, you know, I just laid it all out. I said, okay, this study is seven weeks long. You know, you guys do not have to commit. I, I'm just asking you to try it out. Just come for the first time. And if you guys don't like it, we never have to do it again. And I also incentivized them by telling them I'd pay for lunch, which I think kind of <laughs> sealed the deal. But, um, yeah, they, they agreed to come, and um, they actually really enjoyed the first week. And uh, so much so that they wanted to continue. And um, yeah, I was really appreciative of the way that Christianity Explored is because of the discussion questions. Like, you know, I'm, my brothers don't know anything about the gospel. They know nothing about Jesus Christ. And I'm a little further in my walk. So um, the discussions just like invoked such great response from everybody, exactly where they are. And um, you know, the, because of that, like the discussions would go on. Sometimes our sessions would be like three hours long, but my brothers are really adamant every week. Like I would tell them, like, I want to be respectful of your time. Like, I don't want to, you know, do this so long that you guys are losing interest in it. But every week they always wanted to finish it. So, um, you know, we were going through it and by week seven, praise God, all three of them profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, yeah praise God. Mm. God. And seriously, like, I want to say that, like, all of this comes from just God's grace and his mercy, you know, like, this has nothing to do with anything that I said or even the study itself, but just from God's mercy alone. And we're so aware that now that they've taken this first step, like, 
the enemy is going to be coming after them. So, um, you know, my wife Cindy and I and my home group, we're just continually continuing to pray for them. And, um, you know, we just want the seed of the gospel to just take root in their lives and for them to just glorify God with their lives just until, until mm-hmm. for their entire life. So, um, yeah, I continue to meet with my brothers um, every Monday and we're doing Bible studies. So, um, yeah, please be praying for them still. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, brother. It's God's work and we get to do it together. And we get to rejoice together as we see what he's doing. And so um, these resources, Christianity Explored, it is available to any of you. If you're like, this is a great thing that I could use right now, you need to just contact Steve Springstead. He would love to get it into your hands so that you can use that. Um, You can also just talk to our Start Here team, and they can get a message to Steve. Um, God space, great thing. There's, There's small group curriculums. Let's lean in. Let's lean into what God is doing among us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are, for the way that you reveal your love for the world through Jesus. And we thank you that, um, that we get to follow Jesus together and that we're all on this journey of being transformed. God, we pray right now and we praise you for Anthony's brothers, their, their new faith that is just being nurtured. These seeds are in that soil right now. And so we pray, God, that um, you would continue to lead them on that path of just knowing you and following you together. Thank you, God. I pray that you would, would um, just do this work in greater measure among us so that you might receive greater glory. And so we give it all to you as we close and sing this song. In Jesus' name, amen.